I'm Aubrey Henderson. I'm a recovering people pleaser turned self-worth coach, here to help you befriend your inner critic, break up with people pleasing, and reconnect with your desire. Every week, I share my answers to your questions, live coaching sessions, interviews, and more to help you reconnect with your self-worth. Have you ever felt stuck in your life and just needed a really fucking good pep talk? Well, babe, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Ask Aubrey. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, babes, it's Aubrey. Welcome to this week's episode. Now, I actually had a totally different topic planned for this week for the podcast. And I changed course when I did an Instagram story question where I asked folks for, you know, secrets or questions that they had or just thoughts that they had about sex and self-worth. And just some truly fascinating stuff was shared. Some of it I shared on my Instagram stories. I didn't share everything that came in because I just the volume of it was kind of overwhelming. Um, that clearly this is something that you all want to talk about, which is great because it is something that I actually plan on talking about more, both here in in the podcast, um, over on Instagram. You know, I, it's something that I want to incorporate more into my work and into the content that I'm creating for you. All that is to say, uh, there were lots of questions that I couldn't get to in my stories and some of them that I intentionally saved because I thought they would be great to answer here on the podcast. Things that, you know, I would be typing a bajillion words in tiny, tiny font on a <laughs> phone screen for Instagram, or I could just answer them verbally here. And I have one question that was shared with me a few weeks ago by someone on Instagram that is, has kind of been in the hopper that I wanted to talk about in an episode that is also sex and self-worth related. So what I'm doing is I'm bringing a couple of questions from my stories, that question from a few weeks ago together to basically have an episode where I answer your sex questions. And, you know, it's going to be just sort of a, a freewheeling chat that we're going to have together about this, y'all. Um, so that's basically just what we're going to do. I do want to say, before I forget to tell you, next week I am taking the week off and there will not be a new podcast episode. Um, don't worry, there are like almost 70 episodes for you to listen to. If you want to go re-listen to an old one again, I will give you recommendations to do that. But there's not going to be a new episode on Monday, March 8th. So yes, before I forget to tell you. Okay, this first question came through on Instagram. And someone shared this with me. It's not necessarily really a question, but it is something that I want to respond to because a lot of people shared a similar sentiment to this. So I shared some things in my Instagram story that feel like they touch this obliquely. Um, and, you know, I I think it's important. So this person said, and I think, you know, they, they shared this as just like a secret or a confession, not really a question. I love receiving oral sex so much, but my husband doesn't at all. I love receiving oral sex so much, but my husband doesn't at all. And also a um, crying face emoji, but not like the happy cry face with the smile and the tear, the frowny cry face. Feels important to, you know, narrate that out loud to you. So this person is sad about this. Now, I think this one is so interesting. And there were so many responses that basically were along the lines of there is something that I want, that I desire, and that my partner doesn't want that thing 
or desire that same thing. Um, or even going so far as to say my partner thinks that thing is weird or shames me for it, right? And this is something that can be a source of, of stress and of pain in relationships, right? When our desires aren't matched and aren't aligned. And I think the thing to name here, right, is there's nothing inherently wrong with this. People have different sexual desires and preferences. And that feels like, an, you know, no shit, Aubrey, of course they do. Um, but maybe that's like a revelation for you. Who knows? But people get to want different things. And I think, you know, something that we can get really stuck in is we can feel like if our partner doesn't like, um, you know, fill in the blank sexual act or behavior or whatever the same way that we do, it can feel like they're judging us for it, right? Or they're, you know, they must think less of us or one of us is correct and the other person is wrong, right? Well, I like this thing, but my partner doesn't like this thing. And so, you know, how do I get them to like it? Because they must be wrong. Or how do I stop liking it? Because I must be wrong, right? And I'm not saying that's what this person necessarily is saying, but it just brings up that, that I think that that can be a pain point in this, right? When when our desires are mismatched. And so, you know, for this person, and this is interesting because I feel like you hear so many, and this is like a very hetero gendered thing, but I feel like I hear so many like, half joking, half not commentary that like if you are a cis woman with a cis dude partner and he won't go down on you, then you should dump him because like he should want to do that. And there is like a part of me that like thinks that's really funny and has made those jokes before and that I think there are ways that, you know, like going down on somebody like performing oral sex on a person with a vulva is like very much stigmatized and made out to be this like inherently gross thing when it's it's not inherently gross as an act and so yes I very much want to push back against that and this idea that like you know that that men don't like doing that because it's gross but at the same time like that sort of narrative also shames people who like may legitimately just like not be into certain sex acts and if you are somebody who really believes in the idea of enthusiastic consent right in you know the fact that if you're if you're engaging in a sex act then everybody involved should be not just okay with what's happening but like a hell yes about what's happening so enthusiastic consent right is the hell yes part then theoretically, right, we we shouldn't want to pressure somebody into doing something that they don't want to do. So that's the tension you're holding, right, is that, you know, and presumably for this person, that's where the sad face comes from. You know, it, you may not want to force your partner to do anything that they don't want to do. That doesn't mean you don't still want the thing, right? And I think that's a thing that I often find myself doing in conversations with people when it comes to sex is reminding folks that wanting basically anything is okay, right? Your desire is okay, and there's nothing wrong with you for wanting something. And people's desires can feel like super out there. They can feel like other people don't understand. They can feel misaligned with your partner, you know, whatever the case may be. But the first thing we have to do is let ourselves off the hook for wanting what we want, right? 
And I think that can be so hard. We can put ourselves through so much like emotional shit for just wanting what we want. And this goes too for like, I had people, you know, sending in responses that were like, you know, I, I'm monogamous with my partner, but like I fantasize about someone else, right? Or, you know, I want to do this thing and my partner doesn't want to do it. So like we don't do it and it's fine, but I still want it. Is it bad that I still want it, right? Wanting what you want and having desires is not inherently bad. It's just not. And, you know, I think I think we can shame ourselves for those things when they don't line up or when someone else isn't able to meet those desires. And we can tell ourselves this story that, oh, like, you know, my partner doesn't want to do this thing for me. And so there must be something wrong with me. No, there's nothing wrong with you for wanting what you want. Now, the other hard piece of this is often that, and that first part is hard, but then the other hard piece is that you can really reconcile, there's nothing wrong with me for wanting it. And also, there's nothing wrong with your partner for not wanting it, right? There's nothing wrong with not being into something either, right? And the key is that we are constantly negotiating each other's desires and where there's a fit and where there's compatibility and where there's not. And so for this person, I would say, and you're not asking, you know, this person wasn't asking me for advice. So I realize I'm giving unsolicited advice in response to, you know, uh, the uh, the sharing of a statement or of a lived experience that just jogged a lot of thoughts for me. But the thing is that when you find yourself in this situation where there's something that you deeply want and it doesn't match up with what your partner wants, and this can also be true, you know, I um, there was someone who shared that you know, they, you know, might be interested in like having sex with being with more than one person at a time, but they're in a monogamous relationship right now and, you know, aren't sure if it's bad that they want that or whatever. You know, they want to explore non-monogamy in some form, right? It's This is the same as that. Any scenario where your desire doesn't match your lived experience, where you're longing for something that isn't for whatever reason isn't possible in your lived experience whether you know whatever for whatever reason whether that's because you know your partner isn't doesn't want to engage in that thing right you want it your partner doesn't and so consent ends up trumping that right then you have to make a decision and I think that can be really challenging. That can be painful and that's valid, right? But you have to make a decision at that point. So for this person who's saying, you know, my, and to be fair, I I am reading this a very specific way. My specific reading of this is I love receiving oral sex so much, but my husband doesn't at all. And I wonder if this person is saying like, I love receiving oral sex, but my husband doesn't like performing it on me. Or if this person is saying, I like to receive oral sex, my husband does not like to receive oral sex and I wish that he would. Whatever the case may be, whatever it is that there's, your partner isn't into something and that makes you sad, there is a decision to be made, which is what feels more important to you in that moment. Assuming you've had a conversation with your partner, you've said, you know, this is something that is important to me to explore, that I really want. Are you open to it? You've had a conversation and your partner has has straight up said, no, that, that doesn't work for me. That's a limit. That's a boundary. That's not going to work. 
then there is a decision there. And this sounds dramatic and ultimatum-like, which is not what I'm suggesting. I'm not suggesting that you make an ultimatum of, I'm going to break up with you if you won't go down on me. That's not okay. That's manipulation. But I think there is a decision about, okay, I my sexual needs matter and my partner's sexual needs matter. And there is a place where they are incompatible. And can I reconcile that, right? And I think sometimes the answer is going to be yes. Like, you know, sometimes there's going to be a thing that you're like, oh, I really, I like this sex act, but my partner really doesn't. And so, we're, you know, I'm not going to do it in with my current partner. And that's okay. I can live with that. Whereas, you know, if there, if it is something like that, that really is centrally important to you, if it is something that you really need and it's, and not, not having that need fulfilled, you're finding it distressing or disruptive, that's something to consider. That need is important. And I think, I don't know, that's that's really the thing that I would emphasize here is one, really validating for anyone who's listening and, you know, empowering you to validate yourself that the things that you need, the things that you want, the things that you are craving, those things matter and it's okay to want. And you get to make decisions from a place of, you know, how important is this desire to me? How important is this desire and where does it fit in terms of, you know, if somebody else doesn't want the same thing, is that serious enough to make us incompatible? Or is it just like a little inconvenient, right? So there's that. And, you know, maybe for you, it's a little sad, but it's going to be okay. And maybe for you, it's like, oh, my my needs aren't being met here and I need to, you know, reevaluate that. So whatever it is, I hope that you figure that out. Okay, the next question. This is one that I got a while back. Um, This person reached out to me and asked if this was something I would talk about on a podcast, and it is. Um, What do you think about sex shame, especially in the queer or gay community? It's something I go back and forth on. When I'm having sex frequently, I feel super confident and the validation seems to compound. But when I'm not, I can easily slip into a mentality of shame and become really insecure, specifically about gay sex, about coming, about pleasing someone else, etc. And for context, I just got out of a thruple three months ago, so went from having tons of sex to almost none. So... For this person, essentially this question, if I can sum it up, is, you know, for queer folks, you know, what what is my thought about, you know, the shame that queer folks specifically might feel around sex? And then for this person, they're describing an experience where when they're having a lot of sex, it feels validating, it feels empowering, it increases their confidence. And when they're not having sex, there's a sense of of shame and insecurity about those things, about you know, pleasure, sex in general. So, I mean, I think you specifically ask this from a queer lens, and I think that's interesting. And I'm, you know, I'm speaking of this for, for myself as a um, as a queer person. I think there's a lot of there's a lot wrapped up in sex and sexuality for queer folks, just because that is kind of the piece of. Because sex is so inherent often for queer pe- queer people in our sexual orientation identity, right? 
who we are being sexual with is kind of the the focal point of that piece of our identity. And it's it's a lot of times for a lot of people inextricable, right? And, you know, if you grew up with any kind of shame around who you are, if you grew up being shamed for being queer or hearing messages about queer people, you know, doing something wrong or being deviant or being dirty or being shameful or any of those things, then it makes sense that now as an adult, there still are those messages that you're, you know, you've internalized. And even if you have, you know, grown into a queer identity where you're confident and okay in who you are, there are ways that 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 mentality can still creep in. And especially if you're in a place where you've gone from, you know, having a lot of sex to, you know, suddenly not having sex which you've described as being, you know, sex is an act that can be really validating and empowering for you and you're not experiencing that. And so you're slipping into that place of, you know, hearing those negative voices and those um kind of negative messages about queerness specifically and sex and sexuality as it relates to being queer. I think you know, I think for a lot of folks this experience of finding finding sex really empowering. I mean, I think that can be true kind of across, you know, sexual orientation, across gender identity, all of those things. But I think as a queer person who is living into your identity and doing so in a way that feels authentic to you, sex can be a particularly liberating experience, right? So when you describe that, that you feel confident that there's there's validation in that for you as a queer person, that makes sense to me. And then when you take that away, you're left with that sense of shame, right? And, you know, what you describe here is really interesting. You say specifically feeling insecure about gay sex, about coming, about pleasing someone else. And then you say that you were you were in a thruple right before this. And so you went from having tons of sex, right, to having almost none. And I wonder, too, if there is some level of, you know, you feeling when you're in a thruple. And again, I having been myself in several different kind of um, setups like this where I was in and usually thruples, actually, for whatever reason, that seemed to be the magic number for me where I was, you know, in relationships with two other people at the same time, kind of all three of us engaged in a relationship there are ways that that type of setup can really, really kind of be synergistic with the validation, right? If things are going well, right? You, you're you getting all kinds of positive feedback, not just from one partner, but from multiple partners, right? And when that's going well, it can feel really good. And I think I also wonder, you know, what were the circumstances of you not being in that relational setup anymore? You know, was there, you know, any kind of emotional fallout of that was there is there grief around that relationship ending at all maybe there's not um and I can't necessarily you know read into that from what you shared with me here but all that is to say you were in also a relationship kind of setup that is stigmatized on its own separate from queerness and sexual orientation identity but also you know being in a relationship of some kind with more than one partner at a time 
oftentimes can be stigmatized as well. Now, I don't know if that was necessarily your experience. It was certainly mine and is the experience of many folks who are ethically non-monogamous, polyamorous, whichever label, you know, they would apply to themselves, where in addition to feeling some stigma for being queer, there's there's stigma for, you know, how you're engaging in relationship with others, um, you know, which is obviously fucked and problematic in many ways because presumably you are all consenting adults who are agreeing to be part of the setup and there's not a single fucking thing wrong with that. But, you know, that adds another dimension, I would imagine, of of that feeling of, you know, when you're engaging in it, when you are actively engaging in, you know, behaviors related to your sexuality, when you're having sex, when you are kind of getting that positive feedback and validation from your partners, it's liberating, right? Because it's validating who you are. And when you aren't in that and you're taking a step back and you are, you know, reflecting on it or you have kind of the the space without the kind of chemical reinforcement of like, hell yeah, this is a good thing, then it allows time for that that shame and that societal messaging to creep in there. And so, I mean, I think what you describe is valid and I don't know that you were necessarily looking to be validated. I hope you feel and know that it's valid without me telling you. But, you know, something I also sent to this person was a um, a quote by um, Clementine Morrigan, who is someone who I follow and really enjoy on Instagram and shares a lot about BDSM and kink, a lot about ethical non-monogamy, and a lot about shame and you know, something that they shared was this quote that I had just seen actually after or right before this person sent me a message. Um, And the quote said, if shame can crush desire, can desire crush shame? If shame can crush desire, can desire crush shame? And I think this is so, this is so relevant, right? Because I think for this person, you know, you're describing a place where you're living into your sexuality, following your desire, pursuing that is liberating and it's validating, right? And if you're living in this space of desire, getting to play out that desire, right, can can stomp out that shame. And then what happens, though, is that sometimes we we remove our ability to engage with our desire in the same way and it lets that shame kind of light back up a little bit. And that's not to say, you know, just start having more sex and then (laughs) you'll feel better. I don't know that that's necessarily the answer. I don't know that there necessarily is a, a clean answer here. But I think that's something to note is that, you know, I wonder if what's happening for you is that being able to act on and fulfill your desires and live into those and celebrate those and enjoy those through sex with your partners is allowing you to kind of stomp out that shame. And then what you're noticing in those moments when you're not engaging in sex is that that shame is still there and it's still creeping up for you. And I think it's recognizing where those voices are coming from, what, you know, what it is. It's the same thing that I, you know, when I talk about 
engaging with your inner critic and having that conversation, I think you can use some of those same tactics here. So when that voice comes up for you, that is whatever those shamey thoughts are that you're having, whatever that insecurity is that you're feeling, engaging with that and asking questions. Where is this coming from? You know, why do I need to feel shame about this? Because, you know, I was just sharing with someone today talking about the inner critic voice and kind of those messages that come from within. And we've talked about that here on the podcast, right? Is that our inner critic comes out in response to perceived risk, right? Our inner critic observes, oh, they're, you know, they're stepping into risky territory. They are putting themselves in a position where they might feel hurt or they might feel ashamed or they might feel embarrassed or they might feel disappointed. So let's cut that off at the pass and, you know, get loud and say some fucked up shit and maybe it'll get them to back down from what they were gearing themselves up to do, right? It's the voice that comes out when you're about to apply for a job that you're worried is like maybe a little out of your league, right? And it's like, don't do that. You're a failure. You're never going to get that job. And it stops you from taking the risk, right? Or it stops you from, you know, telling the be- your best friend that you're in love with how you feel about them because it's saying you know, you, they're not going to feel the same. You're going to look like a fucking idiot, right? It's trying to stop you from taking risks. And so I wonder if you have this shame voice, this sort of inner critic voice that's coming out for you when you are in a space where you're not actively engaged in a sexual relationship, right? If you're, you know, not having a lot of sex. And so that's when this is coming out. I'm curious, and I think this is a place for you to dig deeper. What is the perceived risk? What is that voice responding to, right? Is there a fear that if you're not actively engaging in sex, that maybe that's, you know, a gap in your sense of self-worth or your sense of goodness, right? That if you're not having sex, then there that is something to be ashamed of, for example. And I think only you can really unpack this. Or you and me, if you'd like to do some coaching together, you know, you know how to find me. Um, but all of that to say, I think for a lot of queer folks, there is some variation of this experience of sexual shame. I think, a, I mean, a lot of folks, regardless of sexuality, regardless of gender, experience sexual shame. But I think there is a different layer and dimension for folks who might have grown up hearing messages that our sexuality is inherently something to be ashamed of or something to hide or something to feel is dirty or deviant, right? And it's not, by the way. You are perfect and beautiful exactly as you are, and so am I. And that's just a little extra love for all of my queer babies listening to this right now. Okay, final question. This one also came through um, in my Instagram story last night, and I started, this one I actually started to type out an answer, and then I was like, Aubrey, this is way better if you speak it out loud. I actually read the question to my wife, too, and said, hey, this is like how I'm going to answer this. Does my answer make sense? And she was like, this is better if you just talk to the person about it. And so I decided I'm going to talk to you all about it, of course, with the person anonymous, right? Um but we'll share with them that, you know, their response to their question is here. So this person asked, I have pelvic pain, which makes PIV tricky. Now, PIV, my understanding is that PIV is an acronym for penis and vagina. So that type of sexual intercourse, penis and vagina. How do I get that my worth isn't dependent on PIV? 
So how do I... This person is basically saying, I have pelvic pain. It makes it painful to have sex with a penis in my vagina. How do I come to believe that my self-worth doesn't hinge on my ability to do that? Right? And so, first of all, my immediate reaction to this is that there are so many ways to have sex. And I think heteronormativity robs us of so much creativity, right? I think this like really cis heteronormativity, right? The idea that like every couple is like a cis woman with a vagina and a cis dude with a penis, right? Really like tells us this story that like the legitimate way to have sex is for someone to put their penis inside of someone else's vagina and that's how it works. And the reality is that there are infinite numbers of ways to have sex. And this, I mean, it all, I guess, depends on your personal definition of what sex is. Mine is if somebody's trying to have an orgasm, sex is happening. That's my personal definition. It's a pretty straightforward one. If somebody's trying to have an orgasm, sex is happening. That includes if you're masturbating. That counts as sex to me. But there are infinite ways to accomplish that. And so I think, you know, one, I mean, I think even before we get to this point, right, that there are a million ways to have sex and just because one method of having sex is uncomfortable for you and so you're not able to do it doesn't mean anything about your self-worth. You are a worthy and whole human being however you are able or want to have sex. But also even before that, what that's not even inclusive of is the fact that there are people who straight up don't want to have sex, aren't able to have sex, and y'all are valid too. You know, folks who aren't engaging with any of this stuff and God bless you if you're listening to this, even if (laughs) none of this feels personally relevant to you because you're a person who identifies somewhere on the asexual spectrum or like this just isn't your jam. Um, Thanks for listening. I love you. Uh, But also that experience is valid too. So just to name that explicitly. And then, you know, if you're somebody who is, you know, wanting to engage in sex with a partner or partners and you're feeling like, oh, because I am not able to have sex in this one specific way, there's something wrong with me. There is not anything wrong with you. And I think, you know, this idea of having pain during sex is such a stigmatized thing for particularly for folks who have vaginas, right? And I, I'm i sure it's true across the board, across lots of different anatomy, but it's something where there's like a lot of shame and a lot of like secrecy and like whispers about it um, among, you know, owners of vaginas. And it's, I think it's also this, you know, this idea, this very cisgender heteronormative conceptualization we have about what counts as actual sex, right? And what counts as actual intimacy and as, as valid sex. And that is someone with a penis putting that penis into someone's vagina, right? And that that is, that is what sex is. And the reality is that the definition is so much broader than that. And, you know, what I might ask this person if they were sitting across from me as my coaching client would be to say, you know, you're saying you're struggling with the idea of your, your own sexual self-worth because you can't have sex in this very specific way. Do you think that you know, somebody else's sexuality or sex life is is less valid, you know, if they are 
you know, a cisgender woman who has a vagina and they're they're in a relationship with someone else who has a vagina and they have sex. Should they feel a sense of lower self-worth or shame because they're not having PIV or penis and vagina sex? You know, should should anyone who doesn't, you know, doesn't have that kind of like genital combination or who isn't able to have sex in that way, would would you say that they should feel a lower sense of self-worth? I very much doubt that that this person would say yes. But I think it's it's so common that we kind of hold ourselves to these standards because it's what we've been so, you know, deeply socialized to believe. It's been ingrained in us over the course of our entire lives, whether it's conscious or subconscious, to believe that this is what sex has to look like and for it to be valid it has to look this way and you know, that no one's going to want to be with me if, you know, I can't have sex in this way. And, you know, I think that is something that's tough because it's going to mean navigating conversations potentially with partners, right, if you're not doing that already. And to be able to say, you know, when you're when you're considering having sex with someone or when that's something that's that's going to happen, having that conversation with them. And this is something that in lots of ways came up in that Instagram Q&A as well, right, is is the necessity of being able to communicate really clearly with people about our needs and our wants and our limits sexually, right? And so, you know, for one person, they they described being, you know, in the middle of sex and someone spit on their face and they weren't expecting it. It sounds like it had not been a conversation beforehand, And it was, you know, they like had a big reaction to that. It was very much not something that was discussed. And that's a, it's it's kind of an extreme example, but it highlights the need for, for that conversation to happen ahead of time, to be able to communicate to people, you know, what it is that you need or what your limits are. And I think for this person who's talking about pelvic pain and and how that shows up in the context of their sex life, I think there, you know, there's going to there's going to be conversations that you have to have, again, if you're not having them already with partners where you're letting them know, you know, this is a limit for me. And, you know, before I am sexually intimate with someone, I, I need that person to understand this and I need I need to know that they, they understand and respect that limit. And I really do think that, you know, for every need, preference, desire, there is a person in the world, many, many someones, who are able and willing to meet that need. And, you know, that is something that is going to have to be a consideration for you. And, you know, because you're going to have to be discerning when you're seeking out a partner and making sure that you're finding a partner who is able to respect and understand that limit, um, there are probably going to be moments where that feels really hard. I mean, just to be honest, like there's, there's going to be moments where, you feel frustrated or, you know, if you're not currently in a relationship, it might feel lonely or sad and having to have that kind of, that kind of filter on people can get discouraging. But ultimately what I would say to you, and I just want to give you a fucking hug if you were here in front of me because you deserve to have sex that is not painful, right? Like, I think that's the thing I really want you to hear is that you deserve to have sex that's not painful and it still counts as sex, right? There are a million things that you can do that bring pleasure that aren't that one thing that, yes, you've been told your whole life that like that is the end all be all of sex. I promise you that it's not. 
there i mean i and i say this as somebody who has no penis involved in my in my marriage whatsoever and a very happy sex life there are a million different ways to have sex and you deserve to be with a partner who wants to explore and engage in the ways to have sex that don't cause you pain and not engaging in a type of sex act that causes you pain is not an indictment on you or your worth I promise I really do wish I could give you a hug but you know COVID and also I don't know where you live this is a person I don't know anyway now it's getting weird I love you all I'm reminding you again because I'm remembering again now at the end of the episode that next week Monday March 8th I'm taking the week off so there will not be a new episode Uh, but in the meantime use that time to send me a question you want me to answer it can be sex related or not I'm delving more into this y'all I am because it's an area of passion and interest for me and so we're going there so if this inspired a sex question for you if it inspired another question for you please reach out send me a dm on instagram send me an email all my info is in the show notes i hope you have an amazing couple of weeks and i will see you not next monday but the following love you thank you so much for listening to this episode if you loved it please take a second to subscribe on your favorite platform leave a rating or a review and take a screenshot and share it on social media or with a friend who needs to hear a message like this one I love the chance to hear from you and connect with you because it gives me the opportunity to remind you that you are worthy, worthy of wholeness and happiness and just good things. So send me the question or the topic that's keeping you up at night or that you just want to hear more about. You can send me a voice memo at anchor.fm slash Aubrey Henderson, and I can actually include any voice memos that you send me in the show, which I think is pretty bad. Or you can send a good old-fashioned written message from my website at aubreyhenderson.com. I'll see you next time, babes.